Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dentists Who Invest official podcast. What episode are we on now? I believe it's number 38 off the top of my head, but uh, don't hold me to that because we're getting through them thick and fast these days. 38 in, wow, how long have we been going? About nine months. My guest, you may, well, you will recognize him, I'm sure. He's on the group. He's quite prominent. He's answering loads of questions. He's always there. He's very helpful. And we have, of course, shot a previous episode on this very same subject that we're going to be speaking about again today, which is mortgages. A man who doesn't really need much of an introduction because he is, uh, as I say, he's always out there, out and about, answering questions, mortgage-related and otherwise, on the group. But we're going to introduce him anyway. His name is Vinay Rathod. How are you, Vinay? I'm good, buddy. How are you doing? I'm I think most people will probably recognize me from my memes. You mean, <laughs> there you so, go. So most people are probably recognizing the memes and the bad jokes. Yeah, another claim, another claim to notoriety. <laughs> another claim to notoriety. No, I'm, sure, I'm joking. I'm sure they're good memes. I haven't actually seen your memes, so I can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they're good. How are you today, Vinay? Are you surviving in the heat? About, just about. I've got the fan on, so if that interferes with the audio, just let me know. But uh, I, I think we, we're good. we should be okay. I won't melt yet. I think we're good to go. Brilliant. Awesome. So as we said just a minute ago, this podcast is, of course, on mortgages. And the idea is that we're going to use this podcast to supplement the previous podcast that we shot on mortgages. So if you haven't listened to that one already, it's Vinay's very first episode with myself. Off the top of my head, I believe it's episode number five. That was way back when, way back in the day. Does that ring a bell? Does, yeah. does that sound right? Does that sound right to you, Vinay? It was very, very early in the podcast journey. But anyway, yeah. Regardless, it, very... it wasn't long after you started. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. We've uh, we've burned through these. We haven't even been going a year. And uh, episode number thirty-eight, which is nuts. But I enjoy doing them. Hopefully, everybody enjoys listening yeah. to them as much as I love yeah. them. Yeah. I'm sure. It's build up great momentum. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's been quite the journey. Yeah, everyone people. appreciates the. Uh, the... Yeah, everyone appreciates the time you put in as well. It can't be um, can't be a quick and easy thing to keep on top of, mate. So I'm sure everyone's very grateful we are. Thanks. I do enjoy it, which helps a lot as well. But yeah, there is there's a quite a, quite a bit of work that goes on behind the scenes. It's uh, editing videos. Oh my goodness! For anybody out there who's edited videos, they know my pain. Get in those little tra- <laughs> they get in those little transitions. They're the devil. They are the absolute devil. But it's worth it when you can. Uh, make it sound or it, there's, there's a lot of satisfaction I suppose in making it sound nice and smooth mm-hmm. and transitioning and all the rest or at least I enjoy it anyway as I say so yes as we were just talking about anybody who hasn't listened to that first episode it might be worth a listen because it's going to complement this episode very 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 nicely what we're going to do is we're going to build on the knowledge imparted within that podcast talk about the mortgage environment and talk about how it has evolved since we shot that podcast because 
as we know, stamp duty, even though from memory we did say in that original podcast we thought stamp duty would be reinstated by now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Vinny, we still don't have stamp duty. Is that right? Still on hold? No, no, we, we do. Um, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> as, as of the... Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, the main discount on stamp duty ended at the end of, of last month, which was the one where you'd save up to 15 grand in stamp duty on properties up to half a million or over half a million. Um, there's a marginal diff, uh, the discount on stamp duty available until the end of next month, where if you buy a certain value, you might save a, you know two, three grand, but it's not what it used to be. So it, you might as well assume that the big stamp duty discount is pretty much gone now. I see. And there's a little one left for people who have yet to complete. Interesting. So I've learned that today because I was still under the illusion that we were living in the, the stamp duty holiday. Not quite. I'll give a little little um, bit of info to, to yourself and anyone uh, who listens. The website to use is stampdutycalculator.org.uk. And because stamp duty, when calculated, is tiered like income tax, it's not not possible now to quickly work out off the top of your head what percentage of stamp duty is because it's tiered so you scroll down there's there's literally one box says purchase price and there's three tabs above it first time buyer moving home or an additional property so if you're keeping your old place and buying this one you put the purchase price in so in this scenario let's say five hundred thousand for a, uh, a first time buyer um or let's say a home mover actually would be because first time buyers have some for, uh, slight differences what you see here is the stamp duty currently is 12 and a half grand. It tells you before 30th of June, which is nice that it reminds you that you, you've missed that. <laughs> it was zero. But it tells you from 1st of July to the 30th of September, the stamp duty is 12 and a half grand. And then after the 30th of September, it's 15 grand. And it literally lays that out on a table underneath your calculation. So stampdutycalculator.org.uk, put in the figure, select the correct tab, press calculate, and it will tell you what your stamp duty bill is going to be at what date. Brilliant. Thanks for that. I didn't know that. We're still living in this pandemic, of course, which was another thing we, mm. I'm sure we mused at the time that we shot this podcast, that it would be a thing of the past. But here we are. Oh, We're still God. in still in the Crazy. midst of it, still in the midst of it, which is nuts. And, you know, well, it's still a transpiring situation, really, I guess. And I know that that's impinged upon what you do as well, Vinay. So I was hoping that you could speak a little bit more on that and how that's changed the mortgage environment and what we can expect as borrowers. It's made it quite difficult for a lot of people to get quite as, as much as they used to. Um, and when I say for a lot of people, um, self-employed people, which sadly means most of the people who's gonna, who are going to listen to this, um, Self-employed applicants have seen cuts in income multiples. So the average income multiple is about four and a half at the moment for self-employed applicants. The difficult or the, the, the slightly unfair part of it is if one applicant is self-employed but the other isn't, both applicants will be subject to a reduced income multiple at 4.5. 4 there are some lenders that will do 5 or 5.5, but only if you've got a decent deposit and your income is above a certain amount. Um, I can't really give you a single answer on that because there's different combinations of things that would work that will get you the, the higher income multiples. Um, so basically, bottom line is for a, a large number of people who are looking to apply for a mortgage at the moment, may be surprised that they're going to get less than they might have been told 
uh, if they looked at this a year and a half ago. Um, banks are looking at your last three months of bank statements if you're self-employed. So if you say you've got a, a, a net profit of 60 grand, they want to see a minimum of around six and a half, um, five and a half grand a month being banked for the last three months on your bank bank statement, which would correlate to a turnover of just over 60 minus some expenses. Yeah, 60 grand looks reasonable. If you're telling them you've got a net profit of 60 grand, but your last three bank statements show three and a half grand a month, they're, they're not going to use your tax return figures to lend. They're going to say, well, you're not, you're not continuing to earn at that level at the moment. So that's a bit of a challenge for some where you might have had a couple of P6, sorry, SA302 showing 100 grand earnings. But if at the moment you're not earning about eight, nine grand a month or nine grand a month plus, you're not, you're not going to get that size mortgage on that income. Um, so there's a, there's a few more intricacies to be considered when trying to calculate a maximum loan. The other factor that is quite relevant is the size of deposit you put down can influence the mortgage size that you will be approved for. There are now 5% mortgages, sorry, 95% mortgages available with a 5% deposit, but you're, you're going to get a bottom income multiple on that, and the rate's going to be horrendous. Any dentist listening to this who wants to buy with a 5% deposit, I urge you just to rent for a bit, if possible, and come back with a bigger deposit, or you'll pay a ridiculous rate at the moment. Um, but the loan-to-value is important. If you can put at least a 15 or more percent deposit down, you're going to be treated far more favorably by lenders. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. I see, I see. And was that, I know that this, obviously this podcast is specifically about dentists. Well, it's aimed at dentists and the majority of our listeners are dentists. So that's gold dust for dentists Hmm. to know that. In, in addition to that, is there anything else that we should know or be aware yeah, about as yeah. dentists within the mortgage market? Is, is, sorry, about dentists in the mortgage market? Yeah, yes, yeah. I, well, I was just saying in addition to that, yeah. because we want to home in on dentists and give them as much knowledge as possible in this yeah. episode. I mean, dentistry still has advantages over being a, an unprofessional self-employed person. So professionals, uh, doctors, dentists, architects, baptists, uh, solicitors, veterinarians. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the usual, if your parents want to tell everyone that my son is this for a living, they're probably classed as professionals, they're the elite uh, degrees as such. And the banks will be a little bit more accepting of, of that than someone else who is self-employed, not in one of the professions. So, for example, under limited circumstances, we can still get a mortgage based on a UDA contract for a dentist, even if they don't have a tax return. Um for private dentists, you know, it, it is possible in the strongest situations to get a mortgage based on a projection, but 
this is where it becomes increasingly difficult, uh, sorry, increasingly important to have a bigger deposit. A bank isn't going to lend you based on a projection if you've got only a 5 or 10% deposit, because frankly, they don't want to lend to you at all with only a 5% deposit. So I think the biggest, biggest, the, the thing that you can do that will have the biggest positive impact is have a bigger deposit. That will determine the, the interest rate you get, but it will also determine how keen the bank are to give you a mortgage at all. So it might just be that you can't get the house you want with a smaller deposit because the bank won't lend you enough. Cool, cool. Anything else in it? So that's yeah. dentist. We've drawn a line under dentist and nothing else they should know because we want to get as much information as we can. I know that you specialize uh, in dentists. Feel free yeah, to chuck any more on SEISS grants. Yeah, that was yeah, actually- um, that was COVID-related funding. That was on the agenda right here. We wanted to know, we were going to talk about it at some point, uh, COVID funding and how the SEISS mm -hmm. grants may be a problem. I feel like for anybody out there who's listening who may not know what an SEISS grant is, perhaps there will be some. I know that lots of dentists are aware of it. Maybe it might be nice to explain what those are, first of all, and then how, well, what we discussed yeah. about might affect it. Sure. So... Self-employment support um, scheme, I think, SEISS grants um, were available to self-employed people who had uh, a net profit of under £50,000 in the previous two years average, I believe it was. Don't quote me on that. I don't know the exact qualification criteria of how long you need to have been self-employed. Um, uh, 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 so if you were had a net profit of over uh, under £50,000, um, you could apply for a grant. Um, the grant, you pay tax on the grant, so it goes through as income on your tax return. So it bumps up your headline profit figure. Okay, so what that means is if you've got a 70 grand profit in 2021, uh, a, a part of that, a good part of that may well be a, a, from the self-employed grants. So you could have 20 grand worth of SEISS grants, for example, but a 70 grand net profit, dentistry had made 50 grand. Some lenders will take the SEISS grant off and say you earned 50 grand. Other lenders will, if you revert back to what I was saying a moment ago, they'll, they'll expect you to show bank statements showing that level of turnover. So with the SEISS grant, so that's the um, self-employment um, self-employment income support SEISS scheme. Forgive me, because I didn't qualify for them. Um, uh, the, the, the SEISS grants were available to people who earned under 50,000 net profit, I believe averaged on their last two tax returns. Again, don't quote me on the exact qualification criteria because we, we have nothing to do with the application of that. Um, we just see on the tax returns how much and we know to ask them if they have had any. So if you have had any funding from the government, it, and you're self-employed, it would have been paid to you as a grant, which then gets put through as, uh, as income on your tax return. So if you had 50 grand you earned from dentistry and 20 grand worth of SEISS grant, your profit on your tax return would show 70 grand. And different banks are treating this in different ways. Some banks will not let you apply for a mortgage if you've had any SEISS grants in this tax year because they're saying if you still qualified for SEISS funding in the 2021-2022 tax year, your business must have been pretty badly affected. We don't want to lend. 
Other banks are saying if you took more, uh, more than X amount of SEISS grants, we won't give you a mortgage. Other banks are saying we don't care about the, the SEISS grants. As long as your current turnover reflects the total profit, they'll take your SA302 figure at face value. So even if you had 50 grand income from dentistry and 20 from SEISS grant, happy to consider you a 70 grand earner as long as your income was you know, six and a half, seven grand a month. The turnover should exceed what you're saying your net profit is if you prorata it. So has it affected things? Definitely. It just means that it is that much more important to, um, how do I put it? Use a broker who knows what they're doing when it comes to self-employed applicants. Um, you go to a generic mortgage broker where you know one out of every 10, 20 people are self-employed. They're not having these conversations regularly with the banks. Banks are changing their lending policy for self-employed people at the moment. Um, you guys are their least favorite people, sadly. So they're, they're shopping and changing their lending policy to control business volumes in the areas they want the least, which is small deposits and self-employment. So it's often quite a challenge to get even a simple client the best deal because we need to know which lenders are the one that's coming up with the lowest rate at the top. Okay, Santander, for example, they won't they won't give you a mortgage um, if you've had SEISS grants in the, the most recent year, um, if my recollection is, is correct. Um, uh, they've, again, been chopping and changing their self-employed criteria for ages. They need quite a large deposit for self-employed people. Um, you know, the Barclays, I believe, um, happy to lend with an SEISS grant as long as your turnover is is equivalent to, to that profit figure. Um, so it, it, it it's a bit of a pain, it's time consuming, and it's extremely important that people check what mortgages they can get and if they can get one before they go out and start making offers on houses. Um, you might be very confident and rightly so that you're a dentist, your earnings have been great. You've earned even more this year because of the pandemic, you know, your, your earnings are boosted, but that doesn't mean the bank wants to lend you money. And it's not just because they don't understand or believe you. Sometimes they don't want any more self-employed mortgages on their book at a high risk time. And it's as simple as that. So they make it more difficult for self-employed to get mortgages to cull the volumes. And that's what we've been seeing. Really, really. So we're far from bulletproof. Yeah. Even though we're on on paper, we look no. Sadly, paper, we look like we're doing well for ourselves. Yeah, banks have targets that they don't want more than a certain percentage of their lending book to be self-employment or high-risk uh, types of loans. So, if they start approaching more of that, and especially at a time of heightened risk and volatility, they may reduce that percentage that they're willing to accept on self-employment. I mean, Santander at one point decided that they they want forty percent or more deposit from a self-employed applicant, or don't bother coming to us. <laughs> we'll stop, you know. Um, it, it, yeah, they 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 literally just they were very clear. We don't really want self-employed business at the moment, but if you've got a huge deposit, that negates our risk. We'll take it on. But it's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. So things are getting better. Don't get me wrong. It is improving as time passes, but. Um, it, the, the, the improvements are slow, but they're, they're not necessarily a straight line up. So, you know, it's a bit of a, well, let's go back. We've had too much, too many Asians now. When they get a bit more, then it gets, you know, so it's 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 volatile. Um, again, the reason I say it's important to speak with someone who knows self-employment specifically. Interesting. There's nuance to it. 
There's nuance. Do you know when I have these podcasts, yeah. honestly, you just from the outside, like we were doing one on tax the other day, and uh, every time I talk to mm. someone, it's just like dentistry. I mean, there's a fill-in, there's a white fill-in, and then there's a carved white fill-in with anatomy, primary, secondary, tertiary anatomy. The occlusion's perfect. It's all of those things. It's just... It just never ceases to amaze me the depth of knowledge that there is in any single field and how you can, the more you know, the more you're armed or equipped to go out there and just, well, if you, if you don't know, you don't know this stuff, you know, and you'll never be able to, kind of getting on favorable rates with your mortgage or with your money or your tax or anything. And it's just, my mind always boggles when I talk to you guys. It does. Well, this is, this is it, you know, I mean, what you guys need to, to learn is a hell of a lot more in, in volume and complexity than, than we do. But it's that very reason that a lot, a lot of you guys don't have the time to spend ringing all the different banks and finding out what's your self-employed criteria, you know. Um, it, it's just, like I say, at the moment, banks have made it particularly difficult for self-employed, which just happens to be, what, 90, 95% of dentists, unfortunately. And when I say self-employment, I mean... I mean uh, sole traders, partnerships, limited company directors, all of the above. Interesting stuff. Vinay, let's cut to the chase. You must get this question a hundred times a day, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because that's what everybody's thinking. House prices, up or down? Down, surely. Ooh. I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, stamp duty discounts pretty much ended. We've not seen a, a drop in prices. What I think will happen is, you know, the house that was advertised at 500,000, um, where people were offering 510, 525, 35, 45, 50, that person will still advertise their house for 500,000. They'll either never sell it because they still think they're going to get what they hoped they would have got from during the, the stamp duty discount. Or what will happen is they'll soon realize that we're not getting 20 viewings a week. We're not getting loads of people knocking our door down to, to buy this place at above asking price. We've got it up for half a million. Let's drop the price. Or let's be willing to take offers below asking price instead of offers above. And I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I, that, I think London has suffered, central London, due to the pandemic. You know, whether those prices will recover um, and, in, and get back to the rate of increase they ever were before. I think most people would agree that the rate of escalation in prices in central London was ridiculous and way, way over what it should have been compared to anywhere else in the first place. So I think some might see that as more of a correction than a drop in prices. Houses, uh, houses out in the countryside that have gardens, you know, they're, they're, they're doing particularly well or have done particularly well. I'm not, I'm not sure what the market would be like, you know, this month, next month. Um, but I think there's still a lot of motivation in certain areas for people to move up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to buying a flat unless I was getting it at below, below market value as an investment. You know, if you're going to live in it, that's fine. It gives you a different value. But if you're thinking that you're going to buy something and the investment part of it is important to you, whether it's where you live, but you want it to be a good investment as well, or whether it's a buy to let that you're, you're, you're engaging in, um, think about it. Would you want to live in a flat right now? If you could live in a small house, maybe 10, 15 minutes further away instead. And that's the, the shift that I think is happening. So maybe certain things will, because we've had flats downvalued. People who have made offers, agreed offers on flats, value has gone out from the bank and downvalued it and said that that's not worth what they're paying. We've had that a few times through the pandemic. 
Yeah. Haven't, hasn't, hasn't happened to the house since I can remember. Yeah. Int- okay. So again, nuance to it. It's not just as simple as up, up, down, sideways, all the rest. No. Yeah. Fair enough. It's just supply and demand, isn't it? You know, uh, country houses within commutable distance of big towns are doing fantastically because people are selling their, their expensive you know, city locations and cashing in on that and buying something much bigger a bit further out because the people who were in the office five days a week might only be in the office two or three days a week now. My cousin just moved out of um, London um, to, towards Potter's Bar somewhere, sold their flat, bought a smaller house, a small house, because... You know, he, he only has to go into the office two days a week now. He's like, I don't mind standing on the tube for an extra half hour, 45 minutes, two days a week. I'll get a bigger house, you know, um, and, and I think that's the shift that's going to happen. Fair enough. And, you know, when we were talking earlier about, 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 about this, well, I mean, I suppose the fact that Stamp Duty is now returning somewhat or it's, it's creeping, creeping back in, you'll know the technicalities more than me. Would that, I mean, to me, it just seemed so, uh, from the outside looking in, it just seemed so bubbly not that long ago. And I suppose that the fate of houses are tied to the fate of the overall economy. So I suppose one to watch. And uh, I know that there's the people out there who are kind of like the perma bears and the constant fear mongers and doomsayers who say that we're owed a a good crash in the stock market. Uh, Then we might expect... We might expect houses to go with it, but who's to say? Who really, really, really knows? Who's to say how coronavirus is going to pan out? No one really knows, ultimately. It's all just this speculation. Is the thing. None of us... Is there ever going to be a perfect time to buy? None of us thought we'd be here right now. Yeah. No, it's the thing. You know, the, the other thing to, to, to consider, this is just my theory. Um, I've no idea. I've not researched whether any experts agree with me or not, but it makes sense to me. Um, you need a certain amount of deposit to buy a house. You need to save that money. Go back a couple of years before the pandemic and the stamp duty discount, go back a year and a half. You needed not only the money to buy the house, but you also needed the stamp duty money. You're buying a half million pound house, that's 15 grand, right? Government says you don't need to pay stamp duty anymore on houses up to 500,000. So everyone thinks, great, I've actually got enough deposit to buy my house now. And so they then enter the market and that pushed the prices up. And now what's going to happen is people are not in that position anymore. And people who thought they saved 15 grand probably didn't. They probably paid 30, 40 grand more for the house than they would have if there was no stamp duty discount. So like I alluded to, you've had a bunch of buyers enter the market prematurely that might have waited six to 12 months to save more deposit to keep me buy these houses. That's been pushing the prices up. Those people are back in a situation where if they've not already bought by the end of last month, they now have to have that stamp duty fund allocated again. Yeah. Which might mean, okay, well, we actually don't have enough to buy anymore because part of that money has to go for stamp duty again. And there's going to be a little bit of a a pullback in that respect. But then there's also the flip side where I'm probably not the best person to ask this to because um, dentists have all done really well financially by and large. There are exceptions, I'm, I'm sad to see sometimes, but by and large, you guys have tended to earn more as a result of the pandemic than otherwise. Patients aren't going on holiday, they're not going down the pub every Friday, Saturday night, and they're wearing a mask so they can cover their mouth up if they, they have dental treatment. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's resulted in buoyancy in the dental sector. So a lot of our clients 
are buying not just because not because there's a discount anymore, but because they've actually had a banging year and they've saved up a deposit quicker than they thought there and buy now, you know. Um, and and so I think I'm a bit less exposed to market trends because pretty much all of our clients are dentists, whereas dentists don't control property prices. And this is the problem: is it's everyone else that does, and I don't really deal with everyone else to see. Oh crap! Business has really slowed down after the stamp duty because I'm still seeing people ah, who have earned fantastic amounts. So you've kind of like you're like a bubble within a bubble in a way, I suppose. In yeah. an interesting way. That's a really good point, actually. That's interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. So dentistry has been doing well financially. That I can say, by and large. I mean, some poor, some people are poor. You know, unfortunate enough that they've they've not earned as much. You know, but most people are. are are seeing that even though they earn less because of the initial lockdown for that period of time, they've actually earned so much more for the remaining months. And it's, it's the rally is continuing in that respect. Um, hopefully it will continue. What, the other thing you've got to remember is we've not seen the end of any uh, COVID support funding in, 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 in nationally. Well, that, that, t- that We don't know how skid people are going to be yet. Th- totally. I mean, that actually ties us into very nicely what I wanted to ask next. And that was, how do you see this panning out or what do you... What do you think might, I know it's obviously inherently hard to predict, but can you, is there any foreseeable changes for the future that you can enlighten us on that you expect are going to happen or just any more insight that you can give us really? I know that it's possibly a hard question yeah. to answer, but from, from us, because somebody, most people out here listening to this podcast uh, will have very limited knowledge on mortgage. So even, even just those tiny little bits and things that you might think seem obvious that you know are changing in the near future even that will be gold dust to us or anybody who's listening uh, i mean the the introduction of the new help to buy scheme which again is you know means you have a five percent deposit but the rates are horrendous and i always try and encourage dentists the the the, the problem that we find sometimes with young dentists is you've been skint for a while you've been a student there's loads of stuff that you've either borrowed or a list of things that you want to do that you've not had a chance to do. Then you graduate, you get a job, DF1, you're earning okay, you become an associate, you earn well, but you don't feel very well off because you're paying debts back or you're buying the things that you wished you had the money to buy, you still don't feel very flush. So then you think, oh, crap, it's taken ages to save a deposit. Uh, I need to buy, I mean, you know, I've only got 5%. And I say, but why don't you save up another 5%? Oh, it took me ages to get here. Well, yeah, but you've, you know, you've been working a year, you, you've had to pay things back. You've had to do all the things that you wanted to do. And now you're accruing the, the, the savings, you know. Now you're actually going to start seeing the power of your earning potential because the money is going to be stacking up quicker. And, and so a lot of dentists talk themselves early on in their career into feeling skint when they're actually earning good money and then end up buying something far, far too prematurely. Um, you know, the, the, the social pressure in this country to get on the property ladder as soon as you can. Um, Asians, we have a, a problem with Asians um, uh, because the community, Asian community, is, is you know pay your debts off as quickly as you can. Don't pay someone else's rent. Buy, you know, invest. And it sometimes it's better for someone to rent for a year so they can save and pay half the interest rate on their mortgage for the next five, ten, fifteen years. And that would put them. If we look at it, where they'd be in ten years from now, they'd have been further forward if they'd waited until they bought. But it, it, that. That seems absolutely illogical to the dentist who wants to buy now, where they think, well, surely the sooner I buy, the further forward I'll be in 10 years from now. And that's that's 
something that with rates as high as they are on the smaller deposit products right now, I think at the moment people should hang fire, save up bigger deposits, and then we'll see as time passes, the banks will become more confident in lending at smaller deposits and the rates will improve. Rates are artificially high with small deposits because banks don't want to lend you money if you've only got a 5% deposit. And like any dental treatment you do, you don't want to do the dental treatment. You'll just charge a price that makes it worth you putting up with that crap. And that's what banks are doing. It's like, I don't want these patients, but if you're going to be knocking on my door, fine, I'll charge you this much and then it's worth it for the hassle. And that's what they're doing. You get back to a point in the future, rates will come down. But by then, in the future, you'll have a bigger deposit and you'll get an even better rate anyway. Yeah. So that's something that we're seeing a lot of. Um, and that, that's what I would, I would recommend. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I'm sorry, I'm, float, I'm sort of fluttering from one point to another no, because I start saying something and then I make another point and then I sort of start explaining that. No, I think this is all good. So, it's, all, it's all useful information. And then what you just to tail back on what you said earlier, what, it's not just the 5% up front that we have to contribute to yeah, get yeah. us an unfavorable rate. Stamp. Well, there's a stamp duty, but then there's the fact yeah, that yeah. we're self-employed as well, which again makes kind of compounds the issue that the rates yeah. are unfavorable, unfavorable still. Right. Is that correct? Rates are no different if you're rates are no different whether you're employed or self-employed. Oh, I see. Sorry. It's the qualification criteria to get that that's different. Oh. So an employed person, so PAYE might get a times five income multiple or a four point seven five, whereas a self-employed would only get four point five, for example. Right. Right. Um, a bank, like for example, um, Santander, still won't. Um, I, I don't believe they're. St- I still don't believe they're giving minimal deposit mortgages to self-employed people, only to employed people. I believe Scottish widows have a loan-to-value cap. Um, well, in fact, no, I, I, they're actually capping loan-to-values on all applicants because they're, they're back they're backlogged usually. But um, it, it's more difficult to get the mortgage you want if you're self-employed. If you pass the entry requirements, you'll get the same rate as everyone else. Ah, God, we cleared that up then. God, we cleared that up. Yeah. There was something else that you were just. I think. I think. I think. I kind of. Well, I think I might have jumped in there as all when I when I asked that because I think when we were floating about between those points as you put it earlier, there was something you were just about to say to add in addition. Possibly, if it slipped your mind, it slipped your mind. It's absolutely no problem because I I I did side sidetrack. If if it was important, I'll remember it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So if it was important, I will remember it before we end this yeah. yeah cool fair enough well actually on that note I, I was i believe that was everything we had on the agenda today because the idea of this podcast of course was to complement the one that we did previously so there's quite a lot of mm. knowledge that we've imparted on that one that yeah whilst it's all good it it would be easier to hear it i suppose directly from that episode for anybody who's curious or hasn't listened to it already because I think what we've given out today, we could probably draw a line under that, and that would be a useful episode in itself. Unless you have any parting words, Vinay, or anything hmm. else that you'd like to chuck on top, feel free. Uh, general general points, I'm pretty sure that they would have been in the last podcast, but not everyone's going to listen to what you say and listen to both <laughs> of them. So, yeah, let's have a refresher. Um, let's have a refresher. <laughs> credit history. The the the. the the, the entry requirement, the, the, the minimum height requirement as such to get a mortgage. If you've got a poor credit history, it doesn't matter how much you earn, how much deposit you've got, bank isn't going to want to give you a mortgage. <coughs> Excuse me. We have the exception of, oh, I got a CCJ for 50 quid because I moved out of my last address 
and my final bill, they didn't send it to me. And first I heard about it was when the bailiffs turned up. I paid it as soon as I knew about it. Fine. Things like that, we're cool. We're not talking about accidents. We're talking about genuine carelessness, not paying your bills on time. Um, keep on top of all of your bills. Never, ever have a credit card set that you have to pay minimum payment up at the very least and then make the extra payments every month yourself. That way, you'll never be late on a credit card payment. Um, you guys move around a lot in your early years. So, um, you know, five years of dental school, then you might move around a bit for the first few years before you settle. Always make sure you're on the electoral roll at the address that you are living at when you apply for a mortgage. So if you're renting a place, but you've got all of your bills at it, your mum and dad's house, that's going to be a problem. Your bank statements need to be at the address you're living at. It needs to be on the electoral roll at the address you're living at, because all of that ties in to a credit score and, and, and your address and ID verification. We've had people who have had to miss out on properties because it took them too long to get on the electoral roll and the bank wouldn't agree the mortgage because their score was just marginally too low and it was because they were not on the electoral roll. Um, it can take six weeks to get that updated, which if a vendor's in a property boom, not going to wait for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So get all of your, your ducks in a row. Um, make sure that, you know, dentists are practical people. Um, they, they don't like admin and paperwork. Um, and, and these are admin and paperwork matters. They're, they're things that naturally no one enjoys doing, but you need to do them. You need to get things to be right if you're going to buy a house. Um, what else? What else? What else? I think that's, uh, I'm just thinking of the most common obstacles we come across during mortgage applications. Um, accountants, so, so documents from account, one thing that, all, that seems to cause delays more often than anything else is you have a, an SA302, which an equivalent document is a tax calculation summary. If you look at the end of your fully filed tax return, there's three or four white colored pages, and that's called a tax calculation summary. That's the modern equivalent of an SA302, contains the same information, okay? So from if I say SA302, we can assume I mean either of those documents, right? Then you have something called a tax year overview. No one bloody knows about this. It just seems to be a totally unknown document. You have to log on to your HMRC portal and, and, and generate a tax year overview. Tax year overview states your tax liability for that year. Your tax return states the tax liability for the year. Those two figures should be exactly the same. We've had issues where the accountant made a correction and then didn't issue a new SA302 or tax calculation document, or you know, old documents have been provided. And there's always a nightmare in trying to get to the bottom of this. And we just end up spending so much time communicating with accountants back and forth with the bank and it, it's fine it's part of what we do but the problem is the more we do it the slower it makes the process for everyone um because these things take time you know get get things like that in order early on make sure that the number for your tax liability on your tax return has a matching figure to the penny on your tax year overview so that's that's something that causes uh, delays far more often than I'd like. Um, I, other than that, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we have most of with income. Um, most banks look at two years of, of your figures. They'll they'll average the two if the income is increasing. If the income has gone down, they'll take the most recent year in isolation. If you're a limited company director, 
a lot of banks will use your salary and dividend, but some banks will also alternatively look at your salary and profit. So there's a lot of dentists out there under the false impression that they need to bump up dividends in order to get a big mortgage. And that just means they're costing themselves an awful lot of money in tax for no good reason. Um, I, I, I think that that's pretty pretty much all of, of the, the important things. Um, I'd like to say a little something about Bytelets, but I don't know if you might want to save that for some for another time. Um, but no, it's all, up to all you top, all if, top if tips, you want me to, to carry on. All, all top tips, that's all top stuff, awesome. good advice, and thank you for that. And yeah, feel free if there's something that you think is relevant or will be helpful to anybody who's listening on buy to less yeah. and we are all ears. So there, there has been um, opinion of, of, you know, everyone has a different opinion. Um, not everyone invests in the same way, James, you know, um, I'm, I'm far too cautious to, to get in cryptocurrency. I tried a few grand a few years ago because I never wanted that FOMO of all oh, crap. I wish I had, but that's, that's me done. It's too high a risk. You know, I don't mess around with Forex and, you know, all the stuff Ritesh does way, way above my head. I've no interest in it. So everyone has a different strategy and what works. I would just say, do your own research and, and double check the, the facts relayed to you by people giving advice. Um, it, it has been highlighted that Bytelet is not a good investment anymore. Um, I think that's a very naive comment to make and a very misleading one. How can anyone possibly say it is not a good investment when you've got people making a phenomenal amount of money from it? Um, it, there is tax, there's not tax relief anymore. It's a tax credit. So it, it just has become even more important to, to speak with a mortgage broker who knows what they're talking about than ever before when it comes to investing in property, because what you've got is you used to get full tax relief against mortgage interest, right? So you understand what I mean by that, James? Uh, tax yep. relief against your Just mortgage the, the, interest. So it means your, your mortgage yep. interest is tax deductible. So when you, yeah, what, yeah. as in what you get paid in your income tax, it's reduced by whatever your interest is when you're mortgaged. Is that correct? Yeah. So the easiest way to, to, to that I explain this to people who don't quite get it is um, you understand that your indemnity insurance as a dentist is fully tax deductible, right? Yes. And you understand the impact that has to your tax and your profit figure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Exactly the same as mortgage interest used to be on buy to lets. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the interest on your mortgage was fully tax deductible. What happened afterwards is, I'll correct myself in a minute, but it will just be easier to do it this way. You now get basic rate tax relief on mortgage interest. So if you're only a basic rate taxpayer, that's fine. But if you're a higher rate taxpayer, effectively what's oh, happening is it's like if it's like if. If, if your accountant says from now on, you can only tax it up 50% of your indemnity insurance, mm -hmm. that's effectively the, the outcome, see, right? right? You can now only get basic rate tax relief, which if you're a higher rate taxpayer is 50%. If you're an extra rate taxpayer, obviously it's a bit worse than that as well. But there are ways around this. But the correction I want to make is it's no longer tax relief, it's a tax credit. So what happens is it can increase your tax um, rate so let's say you, you earned 40 grand, which is basic rate taxpayer. Um, your profit on your property with zero tax relief bumps up your profit for your tax figure. So that could push you into a higher rate tax bracket. Yep. And then you get a credit back at half of that. Right. 
So what it means is if you have investment income from other sources, you could end up paying a higher rate of tax on that as a result of having buy-to-let profit oh, in the current okay. format it's in. Yeah. Now, I'm probably not explaining this as well as I could, but this is something that is a very, very good reason why you need both a, a, an advisor who understands mortgages and a good accountant to complement that. Yeah. Right? Because what we do is we'll look at your mortgage. So the way to mitigate this to a degree is, is buy a property in a limited company, buy to let in a limited company. So you set up a special purposes vehicle, an SPV. It's a limited company specifically for property. You borrow the money in the limited company and the property is owned by the limited company. Then you're, you're, you get full tax relief on mortgage arrest because you're then running a business. The limited company gets tax relief. The profits are taxed, the corporation rates. You know? There are also, now this is where your accountant needs to be involved. So I'm going to be a bit careful of how I say this, but you know there are company structures for people who want to invest in property. If you have a limited company for your dentistry, that there could be an alternative, a slightly more interesting company structure where you can do intercompany dividend transfers that are tax-free. So the money you accrue from dentistry can be moved to a limited company to buy property with in a tax-efficient manner, mm -hmm. as opposed to drawing the money as a dividend and then paying tax on it and then using that money to buy a property. You know, you can take the money straight as a, an intercompany dividend. Now, I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not an accountant. I'm not qualified. So this is my interpretation of it you need to get individual advice but what we do is if someone wants to buy a buy to let we'll look at the interest rates the buy to let on limited company are higher rates with higher fees but you get higher mitigation of, of expenses and lower tax so what you need to do is look at the, the two separate options look at your future plan as well because you know what you're earning in 10 years time is not going to be the same as you're earning now you need to plan ahead for an exit strategy. There's no point in you racking up loads of buy-to-let properties in your personal name and then thinking, what the hell do I do with these later? You know, you start, uh, you're, you're earning over a hundred grand all of a sudden, and then you start losing your tax-free allowance because you're earning over a hundred grand. Then you're paying 45% tax at, at some point in the future. So if you have a limited company, you can bounce money between companies provided you get the correct accounting, accounting advice. So really, there are still ways to be really profitable in buy-to-let. And what I would say is if anyone relays their understanding of how taxation works in, in buy-to-let, run that past your accountant before you take that advice from someone telling you not to get a buy-to-let. Because I've, I've, I've heard some less than correct uh, calculations and statements being um, banded about that are just false. They're wrong. The numbers don't add up, you know, two plus two equals 22 sort of maths. It's not correct, um, which may lead the listener to believe that, oh, yeah, that's a really crap investment. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing somewhere someone saying that effectively you're, you're you know, you have a, a mortgage costing a few hundred pounds a month and rent costing a grand. Um, no, I remember they used the capital repayment mortgage as an example of the monthly payments. And then highlighted how the rent barely covers the mortgage, and after they've paid tax, they've made a, make a loss. But that that person used the capital repayment mortgage as an example. That's not the cost of that, that's not the cost of borrowing. That's the cost of of paying the capital off on the principal loan. So if you're going to compare you, and use that example, what you need to do is look at the interest payment on that loan, which would be a fraction of the cost that person stated, 
and then you can see that you're actually making a pretty hefty rental profit at that point and then after tax you've made a loss i i don't think so you yeah. know i'm not saying property is the best investment in the world i've been the first on dentists for dentists and groups where people have asked about pensions and other people have said forget your pension put it in property and i've been the first to say really are you going to make that much money from putting a few hundred pounds a month into a property portfolio compared to your nhs pension i'm not a pension advisor yeah. by the way but you know i'm i'm the first to say to people it's not always as rosy as it seems and a lot of the people who are saying yeah you can get rich from buy to let you know they bought property half the price quarter of the price they are now so you know they got rich we can't but you can still create wealth if you do it well you can create a residual income and let's face it i think that's becoming ever more important in dentistry if you can create a residual income you can cut down your dentistry days you can take control of your dentistry you know you can practice where you like how you like with whom you like as opposed to having to practice to pay the bills you can take control of your life again and that's what property can do or but also don't be under the illusion you can have a 20 30 property portfolio that's passive because people will who are in that position will tell you it's not passive you do need to put hours and work into it yeah yeah but to give you an idea i'm i'm far from a fool i think you know some people may argue um with that but i i've done okay and my plan is at some point in the future um and i've restructured my company uh, uh, recently as a result is i want to buy a cheap buy to let property every couple of years Mm-hmm. something cheap i'm from leicester originally i've got a guy a friend who runs a letting agent in leicester who deals with low rent properties you know um uh, your, your small terraced houses that kind of thing perfect demographic for me um you know good rental yields on those types of properties in an area like leicester where rental is high in demand in areas with a lot of you know the first generation indian immigrants that kind of thing and and i think that that's that's a great way of me building a a secondary residual income line that at some point will be bringing me enough per month in that I I will actually have a change of life as a result of it yeah. you know your mortgage bills and lifestyle can be paid for by something else so what you're working for is the extra stuff you want to buy that's nice and the lifestyle you want to build for your retirement you know and that that's when you have control of your life and that's what a lot of people fail to 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 rec- recognize when it comes to investing you're not just trying to make money you know what do you want to do do you want to retire early or do you want to cut back your working hours do you want to be a multimillionaire and buy a brand new mclaren every year or do you want to have enough money in the bank and a decent car that's paid for on the drive and a couple of holidays a year but only work 4 days a week because that's what what you want you know spend more time with your your partner and your children and and i think for someone to say, make a statement as bold as investing in buy to let isn't worth it anymore is is so is is it is not accurate it just means you need to get advice from someone who knows what they're talking about and understands the that sector as opposed to someone trying to divert you away from it but um it's a complex area that deserves its own podcast james so i just wanted to touch on that to highlight and maybe correct things i've seen that may have been said that i wasn't too You didn't agree with that wasn't in agreement with that's completely yeah, fair yeah. that's completely fair well i think i think that you make some good points and you know what we're all about having as much input and opinion and information as possible and you're quite right with investing 
it's very difficult to make sweeping statements pretty much about any facet of it because after all it's the shoe that fits for you as an individual as an investor yeah. as well and you invest in what you know ultimately and what you believe in that is a huge part of it too so thanks for raising that and very interesting and yeah uh fair enough more nuance to it than perhaps game over for buy to lets as some would espouse and Vinay, there was something that you were telling me about off camera, which may be of interest to some of the listeners today. It was about your a new business venture that you've undertaken, which helps dentists get better deals on their gas electricity for their practices. Have I understood that correctly? That's right. Yeah. So um, commercial utility broker. Um, so if you own a practice, you'll have probably had annoying sales calls that your receptionist would have told you about from salespeople trying to get you to switch over your gas electric. Um, or even your card payment services. Um, and we've got a lot of clients who own dental practices. So I wanted to offer a service that, that wasn't salesy and, you know, is it good company? Is it not? Are they, are they say they've been honest or they're not? Um, so we, I partnered up with a guy who's been in the energy sector for 10 plus years. Um, so this isn't a referral service. We're, we're not just um, introducing you to another company and then getting a kickback for it. This is my and, and Rob's company. Um, we, you know, we've set the company up between the two of us. Rob's industry expertise, um, so we can help negotiate your rates for your gas, electric, water. We can provide card payment terminals and card merchant services. Um, we've had quite a bit of success. We've only launched about two months ago, but we've signed up a couple of dozen dental practices already on various services. You know, uh, uh, from the commercial utilities to the card payment. So I just wanted to um, uh, ask if any of you guys may be interested and think this would be relevant, would you please um, check us out on, on uh, the website and drop me a line if, if it's something that you might be interested in? Would you mind if I, I gave the uh, web address, James? Far away, Vinay. Yeah, it is vr-energy.co.uk. Awesome. Thank you for that. Vinay, can I just say thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Lots of my information. My pleasure, mate, as always. My, my pleasure to have you, my friend. Lots of information dished out as usual. I've learned a lot. Hopefully everybody who is listening has learned loads too. Just quickly before we wrap up, I just wanted to say one thing super quick. For anybody who is listening to this podcast and is not aware of a Facebook group which it was spawned from, Dentists Who Invest, Community Group for Dentists Who Enjoy Trading, feel free to hit that up, give that a check, check out on Facebook. This is the group that has inspired this podcast, this podcast which is designed to improve financial literacy in the dental world, encourage people to think about how they can make their money work for them. And we release podcasts every single week which are broadcast beforehand on the group so you have an opportunity to answer some questions. So feel free to hit that up if it sounds like your thing. Vinay is on there, Vinay Rathod. And if anything that Vinay said today sounded of interest to you or you'd like to explore further, feel free to hit him up. He's always answering questions on that group and i'm sure he will be happy to help Vinay. yeah of course of course you will of course i'm sure you will Vinay, thank you so much once again anything you'd like to say in conclusion before we wrap this up today thank you for again inviting me on um you know it's a, it's a, it's certainly a, a privilege to be able to have an audience as large as the people on uh, that have, have subscribed to your podcast it's doing fantastically thank you so uh, well done. Keep up the, the good work, dude. You know, you, you, you've, you've got something really, really um, special going here. So I'm, I'm happy for you, mate. Thanks, man. Means a lot. Means a lot. 
Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up today. As All I right. said earlier, Vinay, been an absolute pleasure to have you. We shall let you get off. Enjoy your evening. We shall speak again very, very soon. See you later. Wonderful. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.